arrival of the driverless car could be happening earlier than we think. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Self-driving or autonomous vehicles are coming. There seems to be no doubt about that. The only question is when. Various prognosticators have put the date somewhere between 2020 and 2030, but we might not have to wait that long. Today, I'm talking with Matt DeWolf, Director of Product Innovation at Runsheimer. He identifies five trends that suggest that the age of the self-driving car is due to begin earlier than we might have expected, with some limited production possibly taking place as soon as 2018. It has to do with questions of both supply and demand, and there are significant developments in both of those areas. When it comes to the vehicle of tomorrow, let's talk about what tomorrow might really mean. Here is my conversation with Matt DeWolf. Matt DeWolf, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. We're talking about a topic I'm uh, very interested in and super passionate about, so I'm excited to be here with you. I think everybody's really interested in this one, the so-called autonomous car, or if you will, the driverless vehicle, or whatever you prefer to call it. It's definitely a hot topic these days, and you've laid out some trends that you feel might be able to accelerate the arrival of this vehicle a little bit sooner than people thought. I mean, what, the expectation, I guess, is that we might not see it until, what, like between 2020 and 2030? But you think it's going to come earlier, right? It could potentially. Uh, we have some really exciting trends that are coming together right now. Certainly, technology is advancing at a very rapid pace. And we see a lot of very large companies, household names, and, and even the auto manufacturers themselves really sort of stepping on the gas, if you will, to try to accelerate some of the some of these trends. But also just as a society, there's more openness to adopting this type of technology. I mean, you look at some of the ride sharing services and, and the tremendous impact that they've had in such a short amount of time that I think when you look at all the different things that are kind of starting to coalesce at one time, the next five years could be really exciting. And I think we're at the front end and, I, and I'm just delighted to be a part of it and watching it and seeing it all to come together, because I think there's some pretty neat stuff on the, on the very near-term horizon. It's interesting you say as a society, because I would have thought that Americans would be very reluctant to give up control over their vehicles. I mean, it's hard enough to get, get them to share. And, of course, as you say, we've seen more ride-sharing services lately, so there's been a willingness to, to get away from that one-person, one-vehicle thing. But just the psychological aspect of letting somebody take over for you I guess maybe not so much of a problem. We're, we're all going to adjust, right, you think? I do, and, and I share your surprise about this happening, and, and even me, myself. I mean, I grew up with the idea of having my own car and the freedom and the autonomy that it brings. I mean, I was the first person in line at the DMV the morning of my 16th birthday to get that car. I couldn't <laughs> wait to do it. 
But there, there's a certain convenience factor and a certain luxury of getting time back. And I think that's where a lot of this is being driven from, is that people are, are so much value the time and the, and the reduced amount of time that we feel these days and the time pressures. A lot of these things are around that and the overall experience. If you can free up time from driving, which allows you to do other important things in your life. I think in our modern society, people are open to exploring that and trying things out. I know I've certainly myself enjoyed the benefits of letting somebody else do the drive while I work either for work or do personal things. It's a pretty big win for all of us. Let's talk then about these five trends that you believe could bring this into reality sooner than other than people might expect, starting with the so-called connected car or auto as a platform. Could you please explain what those mean and how they relate to what we're talking about here? Sure. The connected car or auto as a platform is one of the steps along the path. And a lot of this stuff is happening in small incremental pieces every day. And they don't necessarily strike us as, as big or monumental in and of themselves. But when you add them all up, you actually start to create an ecosystem, if you will, that makes the autonomous car possible and potentially come a lot faster. So a couple of big trends. First of all, the connected car in the sense of infotainment is what many of us think about because we're seeing new products such as Android Auto and, and Apple CarPlay really start to gain widespread adoption among the auto manufacturers. They're starting to appear in, in many of the models for this year. And there's a lot of neat things that can be done there. But the car itself is, is obviously, we all know, it's a very sophisticated piece of equipment. And there's a lot more to the connected car than just that infotainment system. When a car is connected to the data network, it can send a lot of data back up to the server, which gives the auto manufacturer tremendous amounts of information about how to make that car better, smarter, more responsive. But it also allows the data to come back down to the car and light up new features. I'm sure a lot of folks have heard about what Tesla has done, where through an update of their operating system, they've been able to create brand new services and deliver them to the consumer without ever having to, that car having to come into a, to a dealer or into a shop and have some kind of upgrade. There was a point in time where cars were almost time capsules. Once you bought it, it really didn't evolve. That started to change over the last few years where consumers have been able to download updates and upload it themselves. But I think now with the idea that the car is always connected to the internet and it can get updates all by itself without any kind of consumer intervention, you'll really start to see some hyper growth, some, some new broader features coming out. It opens up the possibilities of what manufacturers can do and deliver to the consumer. It's interesting you talk about the connected car because from the standpoint of the typical driver, they might not see that. I mean, for one thing, it's, you know, there's nothing new in, in GPS and we've had OnStar and we've had systems on board that connect with a central point that can monitor that car's activity. But what we haven't seen is a connection in the other way, that is, Wi-Fi access that is pervasive as you drive no matter where you go. I take it that will come too, and how important is, is, is that? Then? I mean, maybe is that what Apple CarPlay, is that what Android Auto are, that you are actually now finally an automobile will be tapped into the Internet all the time when up to this point it simply hasn't? Absolutely, and, and the cost of data has come way down. 
and the idea that the data connection can be on that vehicle at all times and not necessarily have to rely on your home network or even connecting through your mobile device to get to the internet. There's really an economic incentive for the auto manufacturers to make sure that that device is always connected to the internet. It could be an economic incentive in the form of being able to collect data off of your car and use that to understand the performance of that vehicle in the live world. Because in the past, the manufacturers have been able to test vehicles in in certain conditions, on test tracks, and in certain test exercises. But now, through the use of a connected car, they can get data constantly going back up to the server. They can set baseline or establish baselines and then look for any kind of deviation from that baseline to figure out what's going on. Or even during an accident, being able to record data or submit data back up to a server, almost like a black box on an airplane, the same sort of thing could happen here. And that data can move seamlessly up to the cloud and be incredibly valuable to the manufacturers. They're working on things like safety features or fuel economy standards, a whole host of things that they can use that data to really improve the overall product and driving experience. Let's talk now about advanced driver assistance systems or ADASs, or I don't know how you how would say that acronym, but how far are we? I mean, a car that can parallel park itself, for instance, I mean, is that what we're talking about, that kind of thing? And, and how f- close are we to have that as a, as a regular feature on cars? Well, it's another step along the path. And it's not available in every vehicle, of course. But these little tiny incremental steps that we see, while they may seem insignificant at the time, what's happening here is that step by step, the autonomous car of the future is coming together. And it may start with anti-lock brakes or a parallel parking system, or even helping assist the driver in stopping the car when it senses there might be a front-end collision. Those things in and of themselves, one at a time, may not necessarily feel like a tremendous step forward for us towards the autonomous car. But when you link all those things together, pretty soon you have a vehicle that is capable of operating in our 3D world. And it doesn't necessarily need to always have the intervention of a person. I I don't think we'll go from where we are right now to autonomous overnight. It's going to be a series of incremental improvements. But when you add those up in total, you're going to have a vehicle that knows how to handle the different conditions around it. And of course, if the vehicle is connected, that data can go up to the, to the auto manufacturers and they can make cars that are, they can, they can rapidly advance the progress of this technology. The aspect of that that seems to get the most press these days is collision avoidance systems. I mean, how close are we to the point where cars can sense what's ahead and brake and prevent, prevent collisions without the driver's inter- intervention? A lot closer than maybe we all realize. I recently had a, my son turn 16, and we were looking for a vehicle for him. And as we were shopping around, we were communicating with the person helping us acquire the vehicle, as well as our, the people from our insurance company. And it was interesting. Many people in the chain have an economic incentive to sell you these types of systems, the type that might save you from a front-end collision. I myself was in a vehicle in a rented car that had that type of technology, and it saved me once, and I, and I never forgot it, and I tell a lot of people about it. So when it came time to buy a vehicle for my son, we looked for that kind of system. It was encouraged by our insurance company. It was encouraged by the broker that we were using to help acquire the vehicle, and it's really 
very economical and showing up in a lot more uh, systems. So there's never there's an economic incentive in play. People tend to gravitate towards it faster, and and certainly we reap the benefits of it because it lowered our insurance. From a safety perspective, we reap those benefits, and the insurance company and the auto manufacturer all all reap the benefits. So it's really a win-win all around, and that makes it come to light a lot faster. In that case, it was that it was that the car was alerting you that collision was was imminent and is asking you to take action, right? Or was it the kind of thing where it's if you had done nothing, the car would have taken it into control and, and, and braked? Well, both. In that particular case, I was fortunate in that I was only temporarily distracted and I was able to react. But had I not been, the vehicle would have been able to do that for me. And so that's a really tremendous leap forward. And it saves everyone in the whole value chain. It, it saves everyone time and money and headache. And, and when sort of things coalesce, that's when you see advancements start to take on quickly. And we're already seeing some branding, like the Subaru EyeSight system is one example. I imagine it's not the only one. That's the one that we went with with my son. And, I, and there are other manufacturers out there with equivalent systems in there. And they're starting to gain more market adoption, which is going to help drive down the price and then it'll be creating a virtuous cycle. So we'll start to see a lot more of it. You talk about hyper-competition. As a driver, I wish we'd stop using these puns, but I, ha- I can't, can't stop. As a, <laughs> as a driver toward the arrival of autonomous vehicles, in what sense is hyper-competition a factor here? Once again, it gets back to economic incentives. I had the good fortune of growing up in the Bay Area. I believe you're in San Francisco, if I'm not mistaken. And That's correct. Uh, it's an incredible ecosystem for new companies, new technologies, and just the birth of some pretty exciting stuff. And when there's investors in a market need, the void will be filled. And we're seeing that from a lot of the investment firms pumping money into this because the auto manufacturers are are heavily regulated and not really built for the type of innovation that it might take to bring this new technology to bear as quickly as the market wants it. So when there's an economic incentive, the money's going to flow, the inventors are going to flow, and you're going to see things come on pretty fast. It, it's just about every day where I see some sort of announcement about a company who's either helping to advance the connected car or helping to advance the autonomous car ecosystem. So when you have that many players out there and that much competition, once again, you're going to see things, everybody's trying to get a leg up. But going back to the Tesla example, they're not the largest market share out there. They're in, in fact, they're quite small. But I guarantee that when they do releases, such as what they did just a couple of days ago with where the car can back itself out, once again, it might seem insignificant, your car backing itself out of the driveway and warming itself up so it's ready to go when you want to go. But it definitely sends a signal to everyone else that says, this is where we're going. And if you want to remain relevant and remain at, uh, in a competitive position inside this industry, these are the new expectations that we've set in the market, and you better keep up. So it's healthy. It's good for all the companies, and I'm excited to see it happen. Do you think that we might even see a change in nameplates? So instead of Fords, Chevrolets, Toyotas, and BMWs, we'll see Googles, Apples, Androids, or are those companies going to be partnering with existing auto manufacturers and consolidating and putting their technology into those more familiar brands? Anything's possible. 
I don't have any unique insights into the business plans of some of the larger companies out there. But where there is a market need, I think most of publicly traded companies out there who are trying to drive shareholder value really need to look carefully at these trends, understand what they mean to their business, and react accordingly. So if the market is taking us in this direction, which it appears to be based on the evidence that we have around us now, then all of the manufacturers, whether it be a tech company or an auto manufacturer or maybe someone else, maybe a startup, really has to look at that data, understand what it means to them, and take the appropriate action. I I think we see that a lot in the headlines right now. You're talking uh, in your fourth trend about supply, and I take it what you mean by that is ease of updating, ease of upgrading software. Is that what we're talking about there? The channel. That's, that's correct. The friction that once existed to get new products and services out into the marketplace has started to diminish. And specifically what I mean is having to take your automobile into the manufacturer and have them change something out. That represents friction. That's not something that, as a consumer, we look forward to doing. We may delay it. We may never take advantage of it at all. It's gotten better over the last few years in that we've been able to, say, download a software update to a thumb drive, take it out to our vehicle, and install it, which is a process I recently went through with a a car that my family bought. We bought it in 2014. It's gotten better, but even me, with some technical acumen, really had to focus to get through that task, and it wasn't very easy. When you've got a a car that's connected and it has uh, utilities on it, or I should say appliances on it that can take advantage of software updates, and then you can deliver those software updates seamlessly, then you really have a pretty powerful combination where new features and benefits can be delivered to the marketplace very quickly. And that's what I'm talking about as far as reducing the friction and really hyper-accelerating the innovation that can get out to the marketplace because you don't have the traditional barriers that you had in the past. Of course, you're always going to have the need for mechanical repairs and maintenance. So I would imagine that we would see a system much like that, which is already being used in some trucks, and that is that you are getting alerts saying that you're due for a service interval or that it looks like your brakes are low or that so-and-so, uh, this some aspect of your engine needs to be uh, attended to immediately, right? So that's just got to be part of the package, I would think. Those, those are the very first signals of where we're going. Those are the first features, you know, the most, the earliest advancements, and we'll just keep evolving on top of those and enhancing them. I mean, I, I can envision a day where the manufacturer would get so much data for such a large population of vehicles on the road that they might be able to identify trends. For example, and this is just hypothetical, but imagine the manufacturer might get data showing that a certain batch of vehicles is pulling hard to the left or is involved in quite a few sudden stops. Those could be early warning signs that there might be some sort of mechanical challenge that needs to be looked at. And they could start doing research based on that data and figure out what might be causing these data anomalies. And then, of course, take the appropriate action to correct those issues if possible over the air or the old-fashioned way of bringing the vehicle into the dealer and having it worked on. But these are the opportunities that are opened up by this type of technology. I would very much hope that this would bring an end to that dreaded check engine light that comes on when (laughs) when something goes wrong and it simply says check engine 
as if anybody knows what that's supposed to be. <laughs> let's hope that it gets a little more smarter than that in, in years to come. Um, let's hope. Yeah, your final trend is simply that of demand. Uh, and in this way, you're saying that the demand by consumers for this technology is going to speed things up. Is that your point here? That's exactly the point. And we've, we, we're currently living through one quite considerable revolution. That's the mobile revolution, where just eight or nine years ago, the modern mobile device that we use today and have become so dependent on really didn't exist. And it, it just showed up. And to consider the impact that this technology, the mobile device technology, has had on us and the rapid adoption of it, really driven by consumers. It wasn't that long ago where people who uh, could afford the technology early on would come into the office and say to their IT departments, hey, I just got this new smartphone. Would you please you know, hook it up to our network so I can enjoy all the benefits? You know, The consumer drove a lot of that, and we see the consumer having a tremendous impact on the business environment. And we will see those same sorts of trends occur as the car becomes smarter. And as the car can do more, the consumer will test it out, the market will get larger, the economies of scale will kick in, and then suddenly there's going to be a lot more that you can do with these connected vehicles. And that'll have a tremendous impact on the workplace. So we get a taste of this new technology. Maybe it's a little buggy or a little bit clunky at first. But as it gets refined, and it always gets refined because of the economic incentives that are out there, that's when we start to see widespread market adoption of these technologies and really some pretty exciting breakthrough experience come to, come into play. We've been talking almost exclusively here about passenger vehicles, but do you feel that we'll see the parallel development of the same technology for commercial vehicles, even large trucks? I would imagine so. That is not an area that uh, I, myself, and my company specialize in. However, you're already starting to see some of it with a lot of the telematic systems in there. And it has to do with efficiency, cost savings, and, and ultimately driving shareholder value. There are incentives for companies to take advantage of this technology to help improve safety on the road, improve fuel economy, streamline the delivery of goods and services, lower costs. There's all these different things that directly benefit the corporation by adopting these technologies. And so I do think you will see it come on because it's a market that's still maturing. There's a lot of regulation and standards that have yet to be written and have yet to be defined. So corporations will have to be careful that they don't adopt it too quickly and run into uh, potential liabilities with it. However, because of all the incentives that they, that they could gain or the benefits that they could gain by adopting it, I think it's natural to assume you'll see this start to spread into that area as well. Well, how interesting to see that the arrival of the autonomous vehicle could be earlier than any of us expect. Matt DeWolf, I want to thank you very much for explaining why that might be the case. Thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure. Thank you for your time. That was my conversation with Matt DeWolf of Runsheimer, talking about the coming of the driverless car. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. 
Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.